Welcome to Future Hindsight. I'm your host, Mila Atmos. Each week, I speak with citizen changemakers who spark civic engagement in our society. Our guest today is Seth Flaxman. He's a co-founder of Democracy Works, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization dedicated to making voting a simple, seamless experience for all Americans. In addition to the problems we face with voter suppression, we have many other reasons why we don't show up at the polls. The majority of people who did not vote in any given election is caused by a process issue. Between like 15 and 60 percent of non-voters in a given election aren't voting for a dozen different process issues. The biggest ones being like too busy, forgot, didn't know, like missed a deadline, weather, disability, didn't have transportation. And so all of these things sort of add up. The real tradition in the U.S. is make voting convenient, like make it fit the way we live. And now the majority of non-voters are just saying it's not convenient. It doesn't fit the way we live anymore. We'll be talking about how the initiatives and projects of Democracy Works make voting fit our lives and help us get to the polling booth, the large number of young people signing up through the TurboVote project, and the TurboVote challenge for 80% turnout by 2024. Let's listen in. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about it. So you started Democracy Works while you were in graduate school and you missed voting in some elections. Most people just move on. They don't do anything about it. But you took action. How so? Why was this important to you? I was in grad school with this mindset already of wondering why the internet wasn't revolutionizing the public sector. I was approaching everything through that lens as a starting point and trying to figure out what I could do to modernize that world in the same way everything else was being revolutionized. I was trying to figure out whether I should do something in the democracy space. When I missed all of these elections, each one for a different issue, I was trying to vote back home in New York my like first time, and I missed the deadline to apply to vote by mail. And then the second time, I like forgot to get the ballot in by the deadline. And then I was like, okay, like enough of this. I'm going to register uh, up at school. And then I like had this experience like walking down some weird side street and like seeing a sandwich board in the evening. It was like election day was today, and I was like, really? Like this is how you're supposed to find out that an election is happening now in the future? <laughs> and put those two threads together and was able to then research, like, how big a problem is this for how many people? Is this just me? Is this the bulk of the reason why people aren't voting? And there's good data on this. The census studies why people aren't voting every two years. And the bulk of the reasons are like all very similar to the issues I was experiencing. So it all sort of came together in that moment. All right. So since you mentioned the census and the data, what does the data show us about why people aren't voting? Between like 15 and 60% of non-voters in a given election aren't voting for a dozen different process issues. The biggest ones being like too busy, forgot, didn't know, like missed a deadline, but also like weather, disability, didn't have transportation. And so all of these things sort of add up. Why do we vote the way that we do? If it doesn't make any sense, we are only voting on a Tuesday because that was convenient in the 1700s. Sunday was for church. Monday, you'd travel to the county seat. Tuesday, you would vote in the town square and you'd be back home for market day on Wednesday. And so the real tradition in the U.S. is make voting convenient, like make it fit the way we live. And now the 
majority of non-voters are just saying it's not convenient. It doesn't fit the way we live anymore. Oh, I love that you know the history as to why we vote on Tuesdays. I had never heard that before. This is really great. What you really want to do is you want to recapture the idea of making voting convenient and making it fit our lives. Exactly. It, like, it has to fit the way we live. That's how we think about it. You started Democracy Works, which is really, in my mind, one-stop shopping for bringing our democracy into the 21st century with technology. And your first initiative was TurboVote. What is TurboVote? How does it work? So it was based on my own experience where I went online after missing all these elections. And I was like, I'm sure the internet has solved this already. I just need to sign up for something that will text me whatever I need to do to vote in all of my elections and stay registered. And was shocked, honestly, that that didn't exist and started thinking about how to design a system where you would sign up. And then you would get text or email notifications saying, you know, today is your registration deadline. Here is the form you need. But also, if you need to vote by mail, send it in by this date. Here is the form itself. Here's where your polling place is. All the different steps that can trip people up. Just turn it into a sort of concierge service that reminds you about everything you need in order to vote, including, you know, send you to Ballotpedia or any other guide. And so that that is TurboVote. And that's the vision behind the idea. Now what we're trying to improve every day on it. Can I just download the TurboVote app on my phone? So you go to TurboVote.org. Okay. And it's a site where you fill out your information. And then once you've filled out your information, we will mostly be in touch with you just via text message or email. And there won't be a, a lot of reason to come back to the site after that. But if you do text back, we have a help desk. Real humans are going to help you answer your voting questions if you um, communicate with us. So could I actually ask you a question about somebody's on the ballot? Or is that one information piece too many or we, too far? We, we, whatever question is keeping you from voting, they try to answer. So like we get a lot of questions from returning citizens who are formerly incarcerated asking us like what to do. When we get questions about who's in the ballot, we try to find them their local ballot guide, like our Ballotpedia page. And we won't do anything partisan. We're really trying to be civic and nonpartisan with the work. But otherwise, yeah, we want to help people. If you're an everyday person, why would you hear about it? How would you hear about it? So this is, I think, an important insight behind our work. We want to put this in the places people already are going. After building TurboVote, we said, okay, this is great, but if you build a site and no one uses it, it doesn't matter. So we focused explicitly on partnerships. How do we build TurboVote into the institutions or sites that people go to every day? So that meant last year, for example, Snap sent out a mass snap to their users about signing up for TurboVote. You didn't have to go to TurboVote. Snap pushed it out to you. We work with around 130 colleges around the country right now trying to integrate TurboVote into like pre-semester check-in or class registration or how do you sort of make it a uh, part of the just normal experience. And same with other nonprofits where we see TurboVote as the clipboard that they're using as they reach out to their community. They need a tool that they can use, which isn't just like one-time use, but actually is going to keep their community engaged in all of their elections moving forward so they can go on and do other stuff. They can educate their community. They can not have to constantly be, you know, on the hamster wheel of one election after another. So basically, once you're on, you're on it forever. 2018 was our probably biggest scaling year to date. We really started in 2012 with, with Real Tech, and then 
until 2018, we had gotten to a million subscribers, which we were proud about. But then in the midterms, we scaled from 1 million to 6 million subscribers uh, through our partnerships. And so now we finally have that growth that means that we're going to be in touch with the big percentages of the entire electorate about all of their elections. That's totally awesome. Congratulations. That's huge. Six million, six million voters. That's a lot. And I could probably make news because we just passed seven million last week. All right. So, yeah. Awesome. Just passed seven million. That's even better. What are you doing in order to get people more engaged for 2020? So our strategy is to build up our partnerships with companies, with nonprofits, with colleges, and how they can even do a better job of signing up their customers or their users or their community and help them build out a program. And But there's a whole other side to our work that we're gearing up for 2020. When we started out, the real vision was, like, how do we modernize the voting experience? And there's doing everything you can sort of with TurboVote as this user experience. But then there's a whole other side of the coin around working with state governments. Because in the U.S., the states really own elections. And in a lot of a lot of those states, they just need better technology or they just need a little bit of help and the market isn't serving them. We work now with 46 states where we've helped them automate their system so that if you can go online and Google, where do I vote? All that data comes from our work in partnership with the states. Uh, so before that project, we call the Voting Information Project, you couldn't Google, where do I vote? That data didn't exist in any national organized way. One of the biggest things we're doing is just getting ready for the biggest year ever for that project, including like working with DHS to make sure it's secure, because everything we do now is also election infrastructure in addition to being important for helping people turn out. Wow. So the voter information project essentially tells you where to vote. Yeah, polling place data is the key. But now that we've built up partnerships with the states, we can slowly help them sort of automate publishing who's on the ballot too. Right now, a lot of that work, when you search online to find who's on the ballot, it's like almost like journalists are doing it county by county or state by state. But there is a future where this is just standardized data and that people can build off of it a lot more easily. Oh, that's tremendous. Because when I vote now, I vote here in New York, and I go into the polling booth and I see all these names for running, for example, for the Supreme Court in New York State. I have no idea who these people are. I don't know what they stand for. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of them before. So this is something that you would put on the platform. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and I would say that even bringing up sort of who do you vote for goes to a third branch of our work, which is we are trying to make it easier, more reliable for people to vote by mail, by letting people track ballots through the mail so you know that your ballot was received and counted. Right now, people go into the polling place they know who they're voting for at the top of the ticket, but they're, then they encounter like seven names they've never heard of before. They're like on their phone trying to Google it while they're in the polling place. But if they had a ballot mailed to them, they could be Googling it from home. They could be asking people if they have ideas or advice. So that's also one of the ways we're trying to move elections forward also. Hmm. So what is the counter argument against voting by mail? There are some folks who would prefer we vote online, and I don't think that technology is in a secure place for that right now. And so really the way to modernize voting that also has a paper trail is, I think, voting by mail, but done in a very specific way. There are a few states that are really leading on this, and my favorite is the Colorado model, uh, which California is adopting next year. 
And what that means is that everyone who is registered to vote automatically gets a ballot mailed to them. So it's just automatic ballot delivery. They also have polling places and you could drop it off at a Dropbox. You could drop it off at a polling place. If you lost it, you could just show up at any polling place instead. And so you have that sort of combined access. Colorado layers in a few other innovations at the same time, including like automatic voter registration and same day registration. So you can show up at any polling place and just register that day. But vote by mail done well. The counter argument to vote by mail is like when you don't do it well. If you really sort of think through the policy from all angles and then are also helping make it a good experience like Amazon, for example, which feels like the future, even though it is still the mail, that's the way to do it. I like the way you put that. It is still the mail. So in fact, what you do is you track your ballot. Talk a little bit more about that, because I think people sometimes feel like, well, do I really want that to be tracked? I mean, so we have a tool, Ballot Scout. The way that it works is literally tracking ballots through the mail so that people can get text message notifications about where their ballot is. People are scared sometimes to vote by mail because they don't know whether it's going to make it, and it keeps people from voting who otherwise would. Closing that feedback loop and just tracking that the ballot made it. So you mentioned earlier that you are working with 46 states. Why are the last states not working with you? What is holding them up? <laughs> I mean, it's just an obvious question. <laughs> um, we, um, they're going to work with us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I like it. <laughs> um, the, it's, it. It just takes time and effort in these offices often to adopt new systems. Our job is to try to really show the value of it to the states where a lot of their voters are Googling for information and not finding the state website. And so really just sort of demonstrating how it's helping. It's a way for them to reach their voters. Um, but uh, I would say actually probably the, the strongest argument we make to our state partners is how good this is for security. Every two years, there is an experience where a state's polling place lookup tool goes down because there is too much traffic. And if they don't have a backup like us, then it can be a real problem. And so it's important, especially at a time when every state is really focused on security and thinking through, like, what are my backup systems in case something goes down? Well, so what does this cost? I know you're a nonprofit. So how do you get funding? How do you work with states? How does that work? Because I think that's probably not straightforward. Uh, yeah, so yeah, we are a nonprofit. We run a $10 million a year budget. Around a third of that is earned revenue from our partners, whether it's companies, colleges, nonprofits, or states who are using our software. It is not enough to be a for-profit company, but it is enough to have everyone contribute to the sort of public technology that we're building. And uh, then the rest of our budget is individuals and foundations. I think a lot of our backers, interestingly, are people who are new to this space who are thinking about, okay, like this is critical information, how to vote, when to vote, all of this basic foundational civic building blocks. And they're like, okay, how do I support that? Right. So if you could um, broadly generalize the people who use TurboVote, who is your average user? So it is uh, growing fast, but it is... a generally seems to be a reflection of who is not yet registered or voting. Those are the ones who are opting in to sign up. So it is, I say, looks like America, but is disproportionately younger. 
Oh, that's awesome. So basically, you are one of the reasons that young people can vote or figure out a way to make it to the polling station or get a ballot by mail. I will say explicitly, last year in the midterms, we, with our partners, of course, registered two and a half million voters, disproportionately young voters. So 63% of our subscribers are millennials or younger. And so that's that's big. Pretty cool. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> so how did you how did you find your passion for this? What is the source of your passion? And you know, you told us that you missed all these elections and you're like, wait, how how does this happen? But in order to sustain an enterprise like this over many years, it needs to be more than just missing an election. Yeah. I I have often joked about entrepreneurship being more like a a coping mechanism or like an obsession than a passion. I grew up in a political family, like not run for office political, but we talked about politics every night. In my senior year in high school, remember driving friends during our lunch breaks to vote in the school budget election to make sure the school budget passed. So I've always been like very activisty in that way. I think I've I've been looking for what I could do. But then for democracy in general, it's really whatever issue you care about, it do, it's just not going to make progress if democracy isn't working. It's so foundational. And so everything for me just keeps pushing back towards it. Yes, I totally hear you. I agree 100%. You actually have launched the Turbo Vote Challenge, the premier corporate coalition championing civic engagement in the U.S. And your goal is to help America reach 80% voter turnout by 2024. That is super ambitious. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So this is our corporate coalition. It came from a conversation back in late 2015 where I had this deck I was going around showing people. My vision was like, let's get to 80% turnout, like it, or at least a 20-point increase in turnout across all elections. Because if we keep just trying to aim for small things, we're only going to get small things. I, it's a kind of like the tyranny of small optimizations, where it's like, if you're just looking for a 1% improvement, you're just going to get a 1% improvement. What does it actually take if you want to lift turn up 20 points in order to do that? And imagine it's a cross-sector effort. There's no silver bullet. It takes a lot of people doing a lot of things really well. And I would talk about people, but I sort of kept it hidden in my deck because it was like, people like, oh, you're nuts. <laughs> and uh, we were approached by Starbucks early in 2016 because they were looking to do something in the civic engagement space. And they're like, but what's your vision? And I, you know, I like blew off the deck and I was like, so this is really, this is what I'm I'm aiming for. And they're like, perfect. This is what we're going to do. And, and part of the idea of the coalition is in this goal in general, if you're going to have sort of historic high turnout in the United States, you can't, you have to stop leaving it to parties and politicians. Everyone has to take responsibility. Every institution has to do something uh, in order to treat their customers also like citizens or also like voters. Every school has to also treat their students like voters. And it, it just takes a, a shift in mindset for everyone uh, where it's not someone else's job to do it. And so the 80% was to sort of like shock people out of their normal operating behavior and to say like, yeah, if we want to reach this, actually everyone has to do something, including companies. Oh, I like it. I like what you said about treating everybody like a citizen and a voter. And that will really require a different kind of mindset for all of us. So in an ideal world, let's say we are there, what do you think our world is going to look like? What is America going to look like if we have 80% turnout? I think we're going to 
believe in our democracy. We've done a lot of research into this, and like there is some good news. People across generations believe that voting is critical to democracy. They believe in their right to vote. They believe their vote counts. They believe in encouraging people to vote. But at the same time, people are really nervous about our democracy and the health of our democracy overall because they just don't see it getting things done. And so my sense is that like all of the gridlock I've experienced my entire life as a millennial, you can just sort of bust through that if you can get turnout this high and you get engagement. It's In some ways, it's just a metric for are people engaged or not. And, and I think that's what's going to get things moving. Yeah, I agree. I think if more people are checked in, more people vote, we'll have better representation in Congress, in the Senate, and hopefully we'll get more things done and reflect truly what the population wants as opposed to some special interests. So if there's one thing you would like to say to the average person who is not voting, what would it, what would it be? I have found that most people are not voting because they had a bad experience or because they don't know how to get started. Every once in a while, I'll encounter someone who's like, oh, I don't believe in voting. But I think that's a myth. It's not my experience. And so really, like we built TurboVote for you. Like you can sign up and it will tell you what to do to be a voter and you will learn how to vote in all of your elections and when they are happening. And so that is an easy first step anyone can take. But I would also say to a lot of people who are voters already and are thinking about voting to adopt an institution, whether it is a college, your business where you are an employee or maybe a place where you volunteer or a nonprofit that you care about, ask them like, what is our plan to engage everyone here and make sure they're registered to vote? Like, what is our plan to make sure everyone here is voting? And get that institution thinking about what its responsibilities are in addition to just what your personal responsibilities are. I have a question about, you know, signing up if you're in college. So you're away from your voting district if you're out of state, let's say. And if you have TurboVote, will it prompt you to vote locally or will it prompt you to vote your home address? So when you sign up, you'll tell us where do you want to vote. And then when we text you, we're always texting you like, this is for this place. Like, did you move? Like, please tell us and we'll give you the new information. We ask you to tell us where do you want to vote? And then we'll help you either vote in person if you're on campus there, or we will help you vote by mail if you are voting somewhere else. So it doesn't matter to us. That's great. Looking into the future, what makes you hopeful? So in 2018, Turnout was 50 points. Turnout went up 14 points from 2014. So a 14-point swing in turnout is huge. It's historic, and it shows that giant improvements can happen in participation within a four-year cycle. This doesn't have to be a lifetime of work. And I think we are on track for a huge election in 2020 with a more historic turnout where as much as maybe a 10-point jump. And so we haven't seen like 70% turnout in election in 100 years. But we also, in the past midterms, it was the highest turnout in 100 years. So that makes me really optimistic. And and I would also say, you know, we've been doing this work uh, sort of quietly for a long time. It's great. I mean, people want to know what they can do. And so I feel just optimistic by the number of people every day who are coming to us and saying, like, how do I get my company involved? How do I get my college involved? 
Uh, how do we improve what our program is as a nonprofit in order to get people, more people registered, more people voting? So there's just, there's massive engagement. You can just like feel it in the space right now. So that's really hopeful. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. This is fun. I was blown away by Seth's work, amassing all of the information about when, where, and how to vote, and then communicating all that is no small feat. What excites me the most about Democracy Works is that it addresses the human aspect of voter disengagement, the low-grade apathy that prevents us from making the effort to register, to figure out where to go, or set aside the time to show up at the polling site. At the same time, he also addresses the friction of voting by mail, crashing lookup sites run by state governments, and working with all stakeholders, such as state partners and corporations, in elections. It's obvious, but it has to be repeated. Registering 2.5 million voters in 2018, of which 63% are millennials or younger voters, is super impressive. And finally, I really like that he's hugely ambitious for future voter turnout. We all need to participate in the TurboVote Challenge for 80% participation in 2024. So, if you are not registered to vote yet, go to turbovote.org immediately and make sure you vote in every election from now on. Next week, our guest is David Greising. He's the president and CEO of the Better Government Association, or BGA, which is Illinois' premier nonpartisan civic watchdog organization. Its mission is to fight for a government that is more honest, efficient, transparent, and accountable. We'll be talking about exposing corruption and holding our elected officials accountable, why good governance is important, and how civic engagement is a key component for making our democracy work for us. The way that you're treated by your government is one of the most important factors in your quality of life. Anything from the quality of the roads that you drive on to the quality of the schools that your children or loved ones might attend to the safety of your drinking water to the safety of your streets, not to mention the taxes that people pay. Until next time, stay engaged. I'm Mila Atmos. Thank you for listening to Future Hindsight. The executive producer and host of this program is Mila Atmos. The audio producer and music composer is Peter Fedak. The associate producer is Miriam Zumbu. Additional production by Brooke Sayan. Listen to us online at futurehindsight.com or your favorite streaming service. Mm-hmm.